Gospel of Matthew. And um, just to kind of recap where, where these all fall into the scheme of things. Um, Mark was the first gospel that was written. It's the one that we have the, the earliest manuscripts of. It's the one that we have the earliest uh, recordings of. And from some of the things that they mention in the Gospel of Mark, we know we can kind of narrow down what, what time period that was put into writing. All these things were kind of like songs that you memorize and you repeat to, you know, um, like in preschool, you learn how to sing all the presidents, you have how to sing all the states or whatever. Um, that was their learning technique in ancient Israel, was to just memorize, memorize, memorize. And so Mark came first, and then Matthew was written. And Matthew was written by Matthew the tax collector, who was really named Levi, which shows that he was in the tribe of Levi. So he was brought up this really good Jewish kid. I mean, he was really taught all the Jewish everything, right? Then Luke came, and Luke was written years later during the book of Acts. And Luke, the guy that wrote it, uh, did all kinds of research and thoroughness and interviewed people and talked to people. So where you have Matt Mark that is breaking news, we're going to tell it to you really quick. This happened, this happened, this happened, and you're not going to go get a lot of detail. Matthew, you've got this Jewish guy realizing that this is the fulfillment of Judaism, and he was there, he lived it. And so he's going to write down all the stuff, but he's going to write it all down through these, these Jewish glasses that represent the fulfillment. You've got more prophets quoted in the Gospel of Matthew than in any other Gospel. And then, years later, John writes his Gospel. And John is assuming that whoever reads whatever he wrote down has already read Matthew or Mark or Luke. They've already read that. They've already heard about it. And so John writes more of a memoir of his life as a really good friend of Jesus. And so you get all of these real friendship, close feeling things about how Jesus felt and what, what, how Jesus reacted to this or that. You get the whole uh, last week of Jesus' life is half, like a third of the Gospel of John, because that was such an intense time. He wanted to write about that with intensity. So all that's going to come up here in a minute. So we're at the end of Matthew, and when we, when we last left Jesus, um, he was buried in the tomb. He died on the cross, and we know, spoiler alert, we know that on the third day he rose again. And sometimes people get hung up or they get confused. You know, what, what do you mean third day? Like if he died on Friday and he rose from the dead on Sunday, that's only like 48 hours. So how does that work? So there's two ways. There's two ways to look at the three days. Uh, you can look at it as they did not have hours. They didn't have clocks. So every, they broke up the day into segments. So you could, you knew what was before lunch, you knew what was after lunch, but they didn't have three o'clock. And so Jesus died on Friday during the day. That was day one. 
You had Saturday, nothing happened. And then Sunday, the third day, he rose from the dead. So that's one way to look at it. The way Matthew looked at it, remember, he's looking through his Jewish goggles. So to Jewish people, the day starts at sunset. The day begins at sunset. So Jesus has the Last Supper on what we would call Thursday night after sunset. So we would call it Thursday night. They would call it the day before the Sabbath. So all in one day, Jesus had the Last Supper, the overnight trial, the trial before Pilate in the morning, and the crucifixion, and he died. That's day one. Remember when Jesus died, Pilate, no, Joseph of Arimathea, get your Bible trivia going there. Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate and said, can I take his body down and give it a proper burial before the Sabbath begins? Because once the Sabbath begins, you can't do any work. It's a special day. The Sabbath was a day out of the week that you didn't do what you did all the other days of the week. You rested. God rested and reflected and savored what He did at the end of the week, at the end of the very first week. And so for for us, the Sabbath, I mean, we're free from the law, so we don't, I mean, God doesn't hate us for tying a certain knot or turning on a light switch. Those are all things that some of them followed under the law. Um, or they do today. They didn't have light switches, right? But it was the Sabbath. So he said, hey, can I take this body down for before the Sabbath begins? And so what we would call Friday afternoon, but it was still Thursday because the day starts in the evening. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night and brought us the uh, unless you're born again phrase in John 3.16. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, and two of the Marys took Jesus and they embalmed him. Now, they probably put between 50 and 70 pounds of chemicals on Jesus's body. So think that through for a minute. He, he has been uh, horribly killed. Isaiah 53 says that you couldn't even recognize that he was a man. And then Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they would do it and the two Marys saw where it happened, but they wouldn't be involved in it. They would, they would let these two guys do it. They put pounds and pounds and pounds of embalming. This is going to get a little gross. So the idea was you had a tomb. And you would lay people in the front of the tomb that had recently died. While all of their body would rot and decay. And it would be wrapped in cloth. And then you would just have bones. And at some point... You would go in there and there'd be nothing but bones. All their, everything else is gone. And then they would take those bones and reverently, this isn't like, you know, shoveling leaves in your backyard or something. They would take them back and put them in a back room. And all of those bones would be stored back there. And then 
The next person that would die would come and lay in the front, and you would continue this process. So you might have a hundred people buried in this tomb eventually, because um, you only need, you know, I'm going to be married buried in a Cadillac, right? So I'm going to, they're going to dig this big giant hole. No, we take up all kinds of space. They didn't, they didn't do that. So the way their tombs worked was it would be a, a tomb for generations and everybody would get stored in the back. So they get started on this. The other thing is it's, it's not going to smell. That's the other goal of this is they put all these chemicals that smell um, real fragrant perfumes and you know like soaking them in cologne kind of stuff to make it not smell bad. So they did that to Jesus. So if there's any thought that Jesus was just unconscious or just in a coma that he woke up three days later, that he didn't really die, uh, he would have been killed by the embalming. So just to really grasp, he was really, really dead. He He was embalmed dead. So they do that before the Sabbath begins. Now the Sabbath begins on Friday night at sunset. And that whole day goes by and nobody does anything because it's against the Sabbath. Remember, the Sabbath is a special day. It's holy. You don't do what you do every day. You take a break. And then it's the evening again. Well, they're just like us nowadays. Who in the world goes to a cemetery at night? So they don't go at night. Now it's the third day. So early in the morning, as soon as it's light, the two Marys go as soon as they can. So that's another way of looking at the third day. It was, he died on Thursday. Then sunset happened and it was the Sabbath. That was day two. And then the Sabbath ended in the day after the Sabbath. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Do you guys remember a couple of years ago on Easter Sunday when there was an earthquake in California? Uh, I remember that day all the people on the internet were just like, it's Easter. It's like real Easter. It was fun. So there's an earthquake. An angel shows up and rolls this stone from the door of the tomb. Um, they would have a big stone, probably, you, you know, like cartoons and Sunday school stuff show this big round boulder. It was probably a cut. I mean, they cut the tomb out of rock so they could cut a door. And a lot of times it was like a big round door that you would roll and then it would sink into an indentation. And that would help keep it shut because you didn't want animals and you didn't want grave robbers and stuff to come in there and mess with the tomb. So this angel shows up, there's an earthquake, he rolls back the stone, and he sat down on it. So the thing that's supposed to keep the dead people separated from the living people, this angel is completely not intimidated by it. And he just sits down on it like it's the back of his pickup truck. He doesn't even care. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was light, white as snow. They didn't have any way to describe, you know, Matthew couldn't say, 
you know, he looked like this superhero, or he looked like he was made out of neon lights. He looked like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. For fear of him, the guards trembled. Now remember, Pilate, the Jewish leaders went and said, hey, they're going to steal his body, and stealing his body, and they're going to say that he rose from the dead, so can you seal it so that nobody can open it? And guards said, yeah. Pilate said, yeah, go ahead, take whatever army you want, seal it. So they sealed it with a, like a certificate, like a certification. It wasn't like powerful super glue, but it was whoever breaks this seal better have authority over Pilate or you're going to be in trouble. And the, G, the angel broke it and sat on it. How awesome is that, right? It's like he took the parking ticket and took his gum out and wadded it up in it and then threw it right on the sidewalk in front of the meter maid. Like, I don't even care about your authority, Pilate. All the guards that are there, they all fall over like dead men. They're so terrified. They're so... Wait, wait. These are soldiers. These are, these are killers. These are army men. They are so terrified that they completely pass out like little babies. They're so scared. All of this is just a dig from Matthew, right? Matthew is trying to establish... Jesus is powerful. Jesus is not more powerful than any Roman guards. He's more powerful than Pilate and his fancy schmancy little seal. Jesus is more powerful. But the angel says to the women, so the women are coming up. Let's talk about how brave these women are. Because they're not going to be treated nicely by Roman guards. These guys have been out all night guarding this rock. They, they are not going to take kindly to these two women. The women are coming out. It's still dark. It's just barely light. So it's not even a good time for them to be out. They're coming to a cemetery, which is creepy anyway. How bold are they? One of the Gospels says that they are carrying 50 pounds of spices. So it's not just that they're going to this dangerous place at a dangerous time, but they're carrying 50 pounds of spices to continue to embalm Jesus. How? Like, yeah, we pay other people to embalm our loved ones, right? They are going through this process. That's how bold they are. And they get there and they see this guy that looks like lightning with the white clothes sitting on the rock. And he says, Don't be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus that was crucified. I know who you're looking for. He's not here. He is risen, just like he said. Come look at where he lay. Look at where he was. The angel knows exactly why they came, and he knows how to prove to them what they're looking for. Look. And we know from the other Gospels, they would be able to look in. And just by the design of the way they made tombs, you could stand outside and you could peek in and you could see where the body was and, and see that it's gone. So Jesus' body is gone. The angel says, go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. And that's where you'll see him. So go on, I told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. 
Ah, there's so much going on here. In this day, sorry, ladies, no one took any woman's words seriously. Nobody listened to them. Which you might say, nobody listens to us now. Nobody listened to them. They couldn't, they, they were not legally allowed to be witnesses in court. If they saw something happen, they weren't allowed to testify. Uh, they had no voice. They had no, no standing at all. Nobody to speak, the, no standing to speak for them. So when Matthew tells the story, if Matthew was trying to manipulate people or to trick people, he just failed really big by making two women the first witnesses. He just did a really bad job of convincing everybody of how this started. Unless it's true. And if it's true and he's just trying to tell you what happened and he doesn't care about the culture and all of that, he's just trying to relay that these two Marys were the first people to know about it. And they ran to tell the others. Surprise, they didn't make it. Behold, Jesus met them. This is Matthew 28, verse 9. Jesus is there on the road. He hasn't made it to Galilee yet. The angel said he'd meet him in Galilee. Surprise, there's Jesus. Greetings. They came up, took hold of his feet, worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they'll see me. Oh, so Jesus said, go tell my brothers. At the Last Supper, he told them that they were servants, but they were no longer to be called his servants, but they were called his friends. He called them friends just, a, you know, three days ago. But now that he has died on the cross for their sins and risen from the dead... They are his brothers. They have been adopted. Jesus gives this little secret hint of what has happened by him dying on the cross. By him dying on the cross, every one of us has been given access to be in God's family. The Apostle Paul would go on to explain it in the book of Romans. That we have been adopted in to God's family. But Jesus just does this subtle little thing. And you got to wonder if the Marys were there. I mean, they weren't stupid. They knew stuff. If Jesus says, go tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee, I'll meet you there. And then he runs off. If they had to think for a minute, what? He just said, brothers. And just what that means, right? What, what, what a huge difference that means from, from servants, from pupils, right? Because they were his disciples, which are, as uh, Talmudim was the word for that. They were his trainers. Uh, they were his, he was their trainer. They were his trainees, right? But then all of a sudden, they're his servants. They're his friends at the Last Supper. I'm calling you my friends because I'm telling you what the Father wants. The Father, right? But now for the first time he says, uh, in another one of the Gospels, he says, their Father and my Father. Like, we're, we're adopted in. So the women run off to tell the brothers, uh, 
It's not listed in Matthew. Nobody believes him. They go to the tomb themselves. They see that he's not there. And it's totally awesome. And you can read about it in Mark or in Luke. Or you can read about it in John. John was there, but his details are kind of funny because he is emotional and gets carried away. <laughs> so what happened to all these dead soldiers, right? So Mary and the other Mary go running off to tell the disciples. The, so, the angel leaves. He goes away. Because what his job was is to move the stone and to tell the Marys where to go. And now his work is over. So you got to wonder about these guards. They wake up. They're like, huh, huh, get your stuff. You know, there's an earthquake. There's a man dressed in white that looked like lightning. And I just lost it, right? I, oh. Matthew 28, 11. Some of the guards went into the city and they told the chief priests what happened. Jesus loves these corrupt religious hypocrites. And he is still reaching out to them. He is still trying to help them to believe. But now he's using these guards as his missionaries. And these guys don't even realize what they're doing. Can you imagine being one of those chief priests after you had the, the corrupt trial? You were so mad that Jesus, you tore your shirt because he was committing blasphemy. You got the Roman guards to stand there and guard. And then they come to you and they're like, there was an earthquake. Then there was this guy dressed like lightning. And we all passed out. This is totally like Old Testament kind of stuff, right? When they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, so they all get together and they're like, <laughs> they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and they said, tell people his disciples came at night and stole him away while you were asleep. So we're going to buy you off. We're going to bribe you with illegal money. And we're going to ask you to lie. And the lie that you're going to tell is going to make you guys look like a bunch of idiots. Because everybody knows his disciples are fishermen from Galilee and are no match for Roman soldiers. Right? I mean, those guys are all going to be the laughing stock if they spread the story that a bunch of Boonville fishermen broke through the National Guard. Right? If it comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. They say that because their punishment for letting a prisoner go, which his dead body, he was like a prisoner, was they should all be killed. And remember how we were talking about how bloodthirsty Pilate is and how he just kills people at the drop of a hat and is, just murders all kinds of people? Pilate would have totally killed these guys. But the priests are going to pay off Pilate too. This, you get, we see this all the time, right? Somebody makes an absolutely horrible decision. And then when the, they get into trouble with the horrible decision, they try to fix it with the same stupid half-wisdom that got them into the problem in the first place. And they just heap sin on sin on sin these guys right here had a chance to turn to God. Right here they could have been like, wow, this is real. He really did come back from the dead. 
Let's find Him. He really is the Son of God. Let's learn from Him. Let's have Him teach us. But they didn't. So all the disciples go to Galilee and they see Jesus. There He is. And He says, now remember I said all the Gospels are different. So if you want to see all the cool stuff that Jesus did after He rose from the dead, read the Gospel of John. Just go to the back of the Gospel of John. But here... This is Matthew, and he's writing with his Jewish goggles on. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus said. All authority in the air and the land. All authority in the spiritual realm, the physical realm. All authority. I'm the boss of everything. Has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all that I taught you. And I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So first of all, Jesus has all authority. He is in charge of everything. That means you don't have anything to be afraid of. Um, when, I guess when Cindy and I were newly married... We went to jail. Uh, it was a mission trip that we went, and we went to the Posey County Jail, and I was with a group of guys that were going to have a Bible study with all the men, and yeah, yeah, it was funny. Um, Cindy was with the Bible study that went and talked to all the women, and I wasn't afraid because the whole time there's this big old jail warden dude like right next to me. And he had all kinds of buttons and the whole deal. I didn't have to be afraid of even being in a jail because I knew who had authority in that jail and that he had authority, right? Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is in control of everything. We don't have anything to be afraid of. When he says to go make disciples of all nations, he's saying, don't don't go teach a bunch of books. The word disciple is is, is live like this. It's, It's go and teach people to live like me the way I've taught you to live like me. Teach them a way of life, a whole a whole way of living. Observe all that I've commanded you. Teach them everything that I taught you. Tell them everything we did together. Tell them all the stories. Make disciples. Not just a whole bunch of people that know about Jesus, but a whole bunch of people that will live the way of life that Jesus lived. In perfect union with the Father. Without sin, because Jesus took away our sin on the cross. Right? Wow. And then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So some translations of this say baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So then there is a controversy. When you baptize somebody, do you have to baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And then the first time I heard somebody get baptized in the name of Jesus, I was like, is that a real baptism? Who is this whack guy doing this? All right, well, it doesn't matter. So... It's not magic words. And what's even better 
is you're not baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Like the name is what you're, what you're saying while you do it. It's better. Imagine I have a container and in that container is the authority, lifestyle, and essence of God. In that container is the, the wholeness of who God is, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the, the flesh, the Spirit, the, the divine Creator. And they're all in a thing. And I took you and I shoved you down into it. And you soaked in it. That's what that means. So it's not dip them in water and recite this thing. It's soak people in God. Baptize them in the name. When um, Cindy Halverson married Dan Sullivan, she is immersed in the name of Sullivan, right? She had to learn all of the stupid Irish songs that Granddad used to sing. She was immersed into the name and the lifestyle of Sullivan. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Matthew's Jewish. He's writing this gospel. And Matthew is not thinking, oh man, I'm going to write this, and then this guy Paul that's killing people, he's going to get converted on the road, and he's going to write all these letters. And then Peter's going to write letters. And then John, after he writes another gospel, Matthew thinks he's writing the only thing there's going to be. So he ends it with this, and it's over. And that's all you need to know. Go make disciples of all nations. But Matthew was influenced. And this is a really cool thing. So Matthew is a Jewish guy. And at the end of the Jewish Bible, so if you look in your Bible and you go to the Old Testament, you go to the end of the Old Testament, you get the Italian prophet Malachi. That was a joke. You get Malachi. Malachi was not the end of the Old Testament. So for the Jewish people, it was in a different order. And the Old Testament ended with 2 Chronicles. And you guys all remember how 2 Chronicles ends, right? (laughs) No. So let's go there. So the very end of 2 Chronicles, chapter 36. You don't have to go there. I'll read it to you, but you can mark it down. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord from the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Okay, what's going on? At the end of 2 Chronicles, everybody's been in exile in Babylon for 70 years because they didn't celebrate the Sabbath. They rebelled against God. That 70 years is over. And the end of 2 Chronicles is saying, to fulfill what Jeremiah said, Cyrus, king of Persia, ended the exile. Listen to what Cyrus, king of Persia, said. That says, Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Wait, does that sound like all authority? The Lord God of king of heaven 
has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all of his people, go, and the Lord will be with him. Go up. So at the end of Chronicles, the end of the Jewish Old Testament, Jewish people are all over, and the king says, all authority is given to me, go to Jerusalem and rebuild, and build it, and, let, and I'll be with you. He says, uh, may the Lord his God be with him. At the end of, the, of Matthew, the king says, go and make disciples of all nations. Go out all over the place and I will be with you. It's the same call. It's the same thing. There was a church that was completely spread out all over the world. That was the Jewish people. And God said, I will be with you. Rebuild who you are. And I will be with you. Everybody, let's go. And then Jesus did it. And he came and he showed up. And he says, all right, everybody, let's go build this church. And let's go. And I will be with you. And let's go all over the place and do it. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's for all nations. Go and make disciples. So when Matthew wrote that, it was the magnitude and the excitement and the power of Jewish people being completely destroyed as a nation are now coming back together. And then you have Nehemiah and Ezra rebuild the temple and they rebuild Jerusalem and all of that. Matthew puts Jesus's command to go to all nations on the level of rebuilding the, the temple, rebuilding Jerusalem. But you're going to do it all over the world. It's not just in Israel anymore. And that command is for us. As you're going, wherever you go, Jesus is with you. And Jesus isn't just with you to give you the pat on the back and to be like, oh yeah, everything's okay. It's Jesus is with you Teach people to live like I lived. Teach people to follow my way of life and depend on the Father. And I'll be with you all through it. And then once they believe, I'll be with them. And they'll, I'll be with them all through it as they go and make disciples. And then here we are in 2020, and we're still going. Gospel of Matthew. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you did it, that you died on the cross for our sins, that you rose from the dead, that you made us a part of your great mission, that now it's not just that you rescued us, but you uh, equip and enlist us. You give us a way of life that we can pass on this joy and this peace and this goodness to other people. And that they can pass it on to others and on and on. We praise you and we glorify you, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 231 together.